<laughs> Did I scare you? Hello, you are listening to the podcast that answers the only question that matters in horror film. Did I scare you? I am your host, Jake Albrecht. And I am his co-host and little brother. Little brother first before co-host, Vin. Okay, glad we established that. It's been asked many times. It has. Uh, For those who haven't listened before, this is a podcast where we two brothers switch off picking movies in an attempt to scare the other one. I selected the movie this week. Vinny, what is the name of the movie I selected? You have selected the uh, probably I, I, top three Alfred Hitchcock uh, movies, right? People would say it's like top three. Okay, why don't you name the movie and then I guess I'll ask you what the other two are. I don't know. This is a fun game. How about you guess? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, it's the <laughs> 1960s uh, version of Psycho, the original. Yeah, we don't we don't talk about the 1990s version here, so let's just... Oh, with Vince let's... Vaughn, and uh, no, that's about yeah. it. <laughs> Gus Van Sant pissing away his uh, credibility after Goodwill Hunting. Whoops. <laughs> All right, so yeah, no, this is Psycho. Uh, it's, uh, hmm. I guess my brand in this, what I thought going into this podcast was I was going to be selecting independent movies... I was going to be selecting foreign movies, and the third peg of my tripod here was going to be classic films, so this is kind of my first attempt at a true classic film. Uh, So Psycho uh, from Alfred Hitchcock, uh, I believe on the AFI Top 100 for the the Top 100 movies ever made in America. Uh, Vinny, have you ever seen Psycho before? Um, I haven't fully watched it. I just realized, like, I'm very familiar with Psycho. I mean, it's a classic. Right. It's sort of pervasive in in American culture. There's like different bits of it that can be seen in a lot of different uh, movies or TV shows. Yeah, I just it just I realized that I never fully watched it all the way through. You know, like I've seen bits and pieces, and I've seen the payoff. But I, I never watched like the beginning or actually followed all the way through with the actual storyline. So this was a treat. This definitely was something a little different. Have you ever watched any other Alfred Hitchcock movies before? I've seen Rear Window. That that was the only other one. Oh, no, no, no. I lied. I'm sorry. Um, I watched Vertigo with you a long time ago. That is a very long time ago now. Okay. So, yeah, no, that those would probably be considered the, his three best, I would, I would guess. Maybe North by Northwest as well. Um, what are the main things that stick out about Psycho to you in your mind? The things that you know about it going into this? Um, I guess really... Uh, it doesn't seem like much at this point. Well, it's that's kind of like a hard question to really ask. Because again, Psycho is probably one of the most famous movies for psychological horror of all time it really set the tone for a lot of things alfred hitchcock set the tone for a lot of suspense and psychological thrillers you know he's mastered a lot of things that a lot of people kind of ape and try to pay homage to these days there's a lot of pop culture that has also spawned 
a lot of like stuff off of it. Like the Simpsons have done like spoofs off of it, and like Psych has done like an episode that like uses like Alfred Hitchcock movies as kind of like a a gimmick for one of their episodes. Like it it just goes on and on. It's one of the biggest things to happen in pop culture. Okay. So I have seen this movie before, and I have to admit that the first time I saw it, uh, I'm not sure if it was just because I was burdened with a lot of expectations. I was not a big fan of this movie. Really? Um, no. And I, I didn't know what to make of the first part of it, because obviously it's kind of like a two-part movie. Mm-hmm. I didn't have many issues with that, but uh, specifically the way it ends, which we'll talk to, about a little bit when we get to it, I didn't like it all. And to be honest with you, I still don't like it that much, but it doesn't take up as much time as I, as it felt like it did the first time I watched it. Really? Because there definitely seems to be like a moment where the movie kind of takes a slog for me. Right. <laughs> I think we're probably talking about the same moment, but like something that occupied space in my mind where I was like, that has to be like the last 25 minutes of the movie is really in actuality only perhaps the last five minutes or so. For sure. I mean, um, I mean, the movie ends pretty strong, but there's definitely a point where it lapses. But we we can get into that when we actually talk about the movie. Do we have any deeper, deeper uh, facts that we want to talk about this movie? Uh, I don't have anything specifically I want to talk about in regards to trivia or anything. Uh, I think maybe we've wasted enough time. And uh, let's do what we do here. And uh, just start digging you through uh, Psycho. Yeah, we're gonna Let's do, do our th- we're gonna do our thing. If you haven't even noticed, uh, well, you're not gonna notice because of the God. What's gonna be ten weeks from now? We're gonna be like in like probably in the middle of like July or something. So like, you're sort of playing mind games with the people who are listening who are either ten weeks from now or even further from now. So hey, future people who end up listening to us ten weeks from now, it is eleven o'clock at night. I just finished my shift. I am like lackadaisical right now. So, and Jake definitely doesn't know. I use the, the, that that doesn't, you know, that's the wrong word. It's lackadaisical and also it doesn't matter. And let's get into the movie as I suggested. All right, perfect. This is all going to be cut out anyway. (laughs) Tremendous. All right, Vinny, we open up on Psycho in a way that we haven't really opened up with a lot of movies because, for once, there is not John Carpenter-esque music. Mm-mm. This instead is a very classical uh, music being played, a classic muse- music for uh, classical movies, and it's very urgent. It's very, like, a lot of violins, and they're playing very quickly. And all we're going to get is the title sequence for the first couple of minutes here. But uh, I do want to note that the title cards... I don't know if you paid attention to this, but they all split in half. Did you happen to see that? I did. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It makes you know what? Well, Do you know why, Vin? Well, yeah, because Norman Bates is fucking—he's a schizophrenic. That's right. He's got a split personality disorder. Yeah, that's it. That's the whole bit. That's why they do it. That's amazing. Here's the thing: going into this movie, right? Is that I wish that I was kind of left out of the loop of like how this movie kind of goes. But because you already know really what the payoff is, it's kind of hard to take your mind away from that. You know what I mean? It would be nice to experience this movie the way that people in 1961 experienced it. It is a little bit like in my initial viewing where I was disappointed in it. Part of it is because it's like it can't surprise me. Like I know where what's going to happen. Right. And 
it's really just a matter of like the the way that the form is different. It, there's no like genuine experience when you're, when you're having it. So when you go back to watch it now, it's sort of just like appreciating the way that something's set up. It's not like an actual visceral response to it. Sure, sure. So we're, that is, we're like film students right now, just kind of like reminiscing and detailing on certain little things. It's like we're not going to surprise anybody here. Right. If I could get a bit gauche in my metaphor, it's a bit like fucking Psycho with a full body condom on. That's like, a, it's not that it feels bad exactly. It's just like it doesn't quite feel as satisfying as I'd like it to be. Right. But anyways, after the title cards, we have a beautiful shot of downtown Phoenix because that's where part of this is taking place. Okay. Yeah, I was I was going to wonder. There was no title cards explaining where this place was. It just explained what what day it was and the time there is no title cards but for some reason there is a date card and a timestamp in the beginning and they don't commit to that for any other time and i don't know why it's there so it was a choice <laughs> enjoy it while it lasts it's gone forever perfect now we're in a motel room and we are with a couple post coitus which is a fancy way of saying after fucking <laughs> and doing some sweet sweet fucking that's right. And Janet Lee is standing in the middle of the room in a pretty sweet bra while uh, her boyfriend's off in the corner. Sam is his name. Yeah, um, it's a I very early 60s name, Sam. I don't know the actor's name, so I actually, Sam is okay. For once, I don't know him either, so Sam, it will be for this for this movie and this movie alone. Or boyfriend. I don't know. We'll see if... I will remark that Sam has terrific hair, even if this is after post-coitus or post-fucking. you know, fucking, He's got oh. terrific hair. Yeah, he's got a lot of pomade in there, so that, that stuff's not moving. A lot of Dapper Dan, you know, probably oil-based. You know, in the right. 60s, they were doing a lot of oil-based kind of uh, stuff in their hair. See, I'm a hair connoisseur myself, so. I, I'd have to imagine that whenever he enters a room, he makes sure to note all of the open flames there immediately. <laughs> Yes, it's pretty dangerous. From one guy that puts pomade in his hair to another, yeah, don't stand near open flames. <laughs> Be like a real Michael Jackson moment up in here. Or Richard Pryor, or anyways. <laughs> Janet Lee is standing around, and she needs to get back to work. But uh, she does have some time to talk about how she would like to get married. She's tired of fucking in motel rooms. Yeah, she says she doesn't want to like keep it a secret anymore. That's right, and she uh, she gives him an ultimatum saying that uh, this is the last time. She's not going to be doing this anymore. And at first he's just kind of like, yeah, okay then. Well, <laughs> so be it. I mean, we had a good time. Say <laughs> lovey. So on and so forth. Uh, I guess I'll catch you around. But uh, he gets into it a little and explains why he doesn't want to get married. And what that all boils down to is that he is bitter about uh, the alimony that he is paying his ex-wife, and also he's inherited a, a great deal of debt from his father, who passed away. And the long and short of it is that he, he thinks he's too poor to get married. He mentions that he's like living in the back of a stock room of a, a hardware store. Man, that's like the realest thing ever that I've heard in a movie in a while. <laughs> Is it, though? Because I would say from a modern perspective, a guy who owns his own hardware store is not doing that bad. I mean, depends. What's your clientele like? What part of town are you uh, living in? How much are you paying out those taxes? 
You think he's got like a real like low end hardware store? I'm just saying from the area that we live in, you know, think about like Bark Hampstead, right? You know that plaza with Apple Cinema and whatnot? Think about how many fucking businesses like went out of business because of that plaza, because of the taxes that they were paying there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> just saying. Let's 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 make it real, baby. Alright. That's Vinny's little contribution to civic engineering there. Um <laughs> What they're really trying to establish is uh, her need for money later, but uh, that'll come into play in a little bit here. Mm-hmm. A plot device. So he's feeling a little down about himself, so he suggests to Janet Lee that maybe you should find someone else. And she sort of says, like, well, you know, I mean, you always got to keep your eye out. You don't know what's out there. <laughs> and that's, that's the end of this for a while, because she's heading back to work. Mm-hmm. And when she gets back to work, she mentions to the secretary that's working there that she has a headache and yes i also remarked this the secretary in response to that tries to give her tranquilizers that she said that she used for her wedding yes yes so she mentioned that her mother was upset to find out that she had them for her wedding too so my question is when did she take those tranquilizers during the wedding was this you know before the ceremony or are we talking around party time i mean she was all nerves so i'm assuming before the ceremony yeah she strikes me as someone who would probably use them for anxiety but you know you don't know what people get into because you start mixing that with booze and all of a sudden you got yourself you got a party on your hands i guess so it's just interesting to state the fact that tranquilizers are that easy to get a uh, you know over the counter in the 1960s that's right uh, well, while they're busy talking about abusing drugs in a recreational manner... As we do. Uh, ...their boss and a cowboy walk in. <laughs> and the cowboy is very loud and boisterous, and he's talking about how his daughter is getting married, which Janet Lee must be like, what a bitch. Some people, you know? <laughs> and he likes what he sees in Janet Lee, so he kind of sidles over to her, and uh, makes a, a pretty creepy advance on her telling her about all the fine things he likes to take care of with his money, intimating that perhaps uh, there's something fine in this office that he would like to use that money towards. And she's not really into this because, you know, he's a gross old man. So I guess cowboys just think that they could fuck anything, you know? Yeah, he's used to throwing his cash around and getting what he wants. And uh, in order to try to impress her more, he mentions that he's paying $40,000 cash for a house for his his daughter, and uh, he would like to leave that money here at the real estate office. He then fans it out, and then I wrote in my notes, that is the fakest looking money I've ever seen. Is <laughs> <laughs> this nice, like, freaking uh, Monopoly money. <laughs> it's like, yes, I'm going to pay in $40,000 in uh, this pink money here. Sir, that's not going to get you anything. But it's $40,000 worth of it. <laughs> you see, I counted it. It's like, if that's not going to work, I can give you sixty, seventy thousand. 70000 It's like, but I can't go over that because the printer ran out of ink. <laughs> I got some pink, I got some blue. Baby, just tell me what color you like. So the boss is not happy about this $40,000 cash being left in his place because it's $40,000, which I guess today would be like, I don't know, a million or so. <laughs> So he tells Janet Lee to take it down to the safety deposit box at the bank. 
and the uglier secretary after they leave is like, I guess the cowboy probably wasn't flirting with with me because he noticed my wedding ring. And Janley's just sort of like, yeah, must be. So she tells her boss that she uh, she wants to go home after dropping the money off. She has a headache. Of, right, right. And the tranquilizers, I imagine, are just starting to kick in. <laughs> so I'm sure she's just a couple minutes from being like, boss, I gotta go home. <laughs> She starts crashing into the desks and shit. I'll see you tomorrow. Anyways, <laughs> those tranquilizers must have fucked her up because in the next scene, we're not at the bank at all, Vinny. We're, we're at home and she's just hanging out in her sexy black bra with that money hey, sitting on her bed. Tranquilizers make you do crazy things, man. Like, forget where you're going. <laughs> and for some reason, to suddenly feel like you need to be nude. I mean, tranquilizers are depressive, which means they should, like, really lower you making risky behaviors. So you'd have to imagine that without them, she would probably already be 500 miles from here. So what you're saying is she didn't give her tranquilizers, she gave her cocaine. (laughs) It's possible. It's possible. (laughs) Or whatever the 1960s equivalent of meth was. So as she's packed, she starts packing a suitcase, and as she does so... She sort of imagines uh, telling her boyfriend about all the money that she's come into. <laughs> this is one of several times where they do a sort of like voiceover where uh, someone's imagining someone else talking this movie. Yeah. Which I was like, oh, that's pretty wild. I haven't seen something like that in 1960s movies all that often. Yeah, it's pretty cool. They they use it a couple of times in this movie. It's it's actually pretty nice. Oh, it's, it's it's interesting, rather. Not not just nice, but it's 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 different, what I'm saying. Do you catch what I'm saying? Right, so she, she's off to uh, turn this hypothetical into an actual with this money. So she's driving uh, into the uh, into the day. She's gonna uh, be Sam's sugar mama and pay his alimony. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> she's gonna pay off the ex-wife, and then they're uh, they're gonna move to a nicer hardware store with a bigger back room, tax-free, <laughs> somewhere to really stretch out. Uh, but while she's in traffic, she's obviously starting to reconsider like taking this money off so she's getting ready to head back to her house or to drop off the money but then she sees her boss out on the street and she fucking panics have you ever has that ever happened to you before where like have i ever stole forty thousand dollars from my employer and then while reconsidering stealing it decided uh to take it back until i saw my boss and then panic ran off yeah only like five or six times all right let's dial this into like you know, like something realistic. Say, like you, you, like you show up to work, and you're like, I don't really want to be here today. I'm gonna say, like, I'm sick and go home. And then you go out and do something and go somewhere. And then, holy fuck, there's someone from work, and they outed you. <laughs> that's that's the kind of moment that I like had here, where it's just like, oh fuck. And then her boss, who, uh, Lowry, George Lowry, who kind of looks like Walt Disney, I'll remark. <laughs> He he just kind of gives her a look of like disappointment, just like I can't believe you. <laughs> that's not the way I read that look. To me, it looked like he was like, I think that's Janet Lee, but also it must not be because she has a headache. So it's just a lady who looks remarkably like her. Probably it's 1960. My mind my mind read it more or less like you bitch. How dare you tell me that you have a headache and now you're just driving around. 
Well, anyways, she's plot committed now, and the music is getting tense with her because they're like, oh, shit, this is on. So she's driving off deep into the night, so deep, in fact, that she has to pull her car over onto the side of the road to go to sleep. (laughs) And then the next morning, she's woken up by a car pulling up and a cop knocking on the window. And when he wakes her up, she, in not a great first move, immediately tries to flee without talking to her. Then he's like, whoa, hold the fuck up. She does everything wrong in this whole, like, confrontation with the cop. Like, it's it's not, it's not a good look. I have to, mm, this is a thriller, so there's a lot of people having to answer questions in a way where they might be nervous. And I sort of appreciate that everyone in this movie is so fucking bad at it. That not a one of them is like, oh, I could probably pull this off. All of them are just like sweaty, stammering messes who are like, I don't know how to do this. I'm a normal person. <laughs> yeah, she's, she does not handle it well. In fact, there's that one point where she tries to turn her car back on and the cop's like, hey, turn that fucking thing off. I'm still talking to you. That's right. So she tells the cop that she was sleeping and she had to pull over. And she starts acting very suspicious then she's like, what's the matter? You don't, like, uh, believe my story? And the cop's like, yeah, pretty much no. You're acting, like, weird as shit. Yeah. (laughs) What, do you think I'm going crazy? What do you you think? Yeah, kind of. You're acting pretty fucking crazy right now. So he asks for her her license, and she digs it out. And then he goes to check out her plate. And then he gives the license back to her. Which, in a modern sense, you're like, Oh, he's, like, checking to see if there's any, like, warrants on her. But, like, obviously he doesn't have that fucking information at his fingertips. So he's just writing down the information to reference it later if it comes up. So when she drives away immediately, I'm like, wait, what the fuck happened? And I only sort of pieced it together after the fact where I'm like, oh, right, no, like, he doesn't have a computer in his car. It's 1961. All the computers are the size of several rooms. So his computer is in his head. Right. It's a notepad where, where it's, when someone later is like, hey, do you know anything about this blonde I picked up? And he'd be like, yeah, I wrote this down. She was acting suspicious as fuck later. Or five weeks from now, he's going to read this note and be like, what the fuck was this? I wonder what happens to cops in those, you know, in that era when it was raining out. Because you'd be, like, writing something really detailed and then be like, oh, son of a bitch. That's just, crime is free on rainy days. <laughs> I love it. That'll be our first shirt. There's no, there's just no way to tell who they are in, the, in those cases. Crime is free on rainy days. <laughs> so she takes off after this, but uh, he's still pursuing her. And she's kind of sort of zigging around to try to lose him. Yeah. And eventually, he pulls off, and she goes somewhere else. And she's like, oh, thank God. So her first thought is, I gotta get rid of this fucking car. So she pulls into a car place, and she's sort of checking out the papers there to see if there's anything about a sexy blonde who stole from her employer. <laughs> and while she's reading the paper, the cop pulls up, because she didn't fucking lose him at all. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so he's just... This is hilarious. This The way that this scene transpires is hilarious. So, you know, the dealer comes out, and then she just gets it in her head where she's like, I'm going to buy a new car and ditch this this car that I have in front of the cop that is standing on the opposite end of the street and watching me do this. Yeah, that, 
Like, the idea of, like, buying a new car is not a bad idea if the cop isn't there, but she just seems to be like, I have already decided to buy a new car, and there's simply no way to not pursue that anymore. I have to do the- I have to pursue this to the very end, whether or not I'm being observed doing it. Out of ten episodes, this has got to be, so far, the worst scheme ever. <laughs> It's not a great scheme. No, it's, yeah, it's pretty much the worst scheme. <laughs> so she has to trade the car in while the cop's watching her across the street. And she wants the first car she sees. And the guy's like, yeah, well, we got to do a test drive, right? And she's like, I don't think you understand. Give me the car. She goes, like, she goes, how's it so weird that somebody wants to buy a car and <laughs> just like take it off the lot? Like, you know, with no questions asked. He's like, yeah, I, I guess, but she's like, name your price, and he's like, oh, okay, well, like this will put her off seven hundred dollars. How about that, asshole? And she's like, yeah, cool. And he's like, <laughs> <laughs> and she's trading in her car, so he's suddenly like, um, did you steal that car? It's just sort of the first thing we have to put down on the paperwork. And she's like, no, I got the papers for it. He's like, I can't fucking make heads or tails of this. So she goes in the bathroom and she starts peeling off the $700 from the rest of the money. And uh, the salesman, he's still nervous when she comes out. But she's like, give me the fucking car. Like, I'm tired of talking about this. Boring. Car now. (laughs) So the cops had enough of watching this from across the street. He pulls up too little effect honestly (laughs) yeah because as soon as he pulls up she gets in the new car looking back at him she is about to peel off and then like the guy behind her yells at her because she forgot like her luggage and shit in her old car right which had the money in it i might want to point out she is very much like like a panicked rabbit at this point like she is not thinking straight at all she's not getting through this She's taking it second by second. It's how the best plans are laid out. So she drives off again, and this time the cop is just like, hey, what's going on there? And as she's driving, she's imagining the cop and the salesman having an in-depth conversation about her. This is where the the whole, like, it, it the camera is, like, panned on her face while she's driving, and then, like, you can see, like, in her eyes, she's just, like, playing out the conversations in her head. And it's it's pretty cool because it goes from the cop and the the dealership, and then it, it goes to, like, all, you got it all plotted out, but, you know, go on. Yeah, it's, then it goes to her workplace with, like, her boss, like, trying to talk about where she might be and the other secretary talking about how she had a headache and maybe she's not feeling well. And then he's like, oh, you know what is weird, though, is that I saw her walking around when she was supposed to drop the money off and then the cowboy gets in there too he says oh my god i i had to like rewind because he said if that if there was any money like missing that he would replace that money with her soft flesh yeah that's i was like what (laughs) wait (laughs) Firstly, that's not a phrase, man. <laughs> Secondly, gross. <laughs> I gotta be honest, in the part where she's imagining the cowboy being pissed that the money's gone, that's the point where she doesn't look panicked anymore. She looks pretty happy about that. 
She's like, <laughs> that <laughs> fucking asshole. <laughs> he would say something crazy like that. <laughs> fucking like, cowboys and trying to skin people, you know? <laughs> so, after she's done panicking about all this and imagining all the ways this is already going wrong, she's driving deep into the night again, and uh, then a rainstorm starts happening. And she pulls up on Bates Motel, which doesn't mean anything to me and the 1961 audience. But obviously, sitting at home now, I'd be like, "Oh yes, like obviously, Welcome one of to the most fam- <laughs> famously uh, scary places to be ever." Mm-hmm. So she heads up into the office at the motel, and as she does that, she notices there's a big creepy house overlooking it up on the hill, and it looks like there's a woman in the window as she uh, walks by. So she honks her horn, and a young man, like, kind of hustles out. And he's a sort of, like, gee golly willikers-like type guy. He's like, all like, oh, shucks, ma'am, oh, golly. (laughs) And he does uh, this very, like, tired bit about how 12 rooms and 12 vacancies, you know, they moved the highway just a a little while ago. It's hilarious, because as um, he's helping her out, he gets her a room and whatnot, room one. He uh he gets her luggage and whatnot, helps her in. He like for some reason it's he's like, Hey, we have some stationery, you know, if you want to brag about like the you know, fact that you're at Bates Motel. I'm like, this guy reminds me so much of Phil Dumphy. <laughs> he just he's got like such like weird like expressions and loves for things. It's it's funny. I was like, it's very Phil Dumphy ish. Dumphy ish. I don't know. Yeah, he has a sort of boyish charm. <laughs> so she signs the book under a fake name, and he mentions it's that not, she's only... It's not a good fake name. She, like, used her first name and then Her Sam's... real first name and then uh, Sam's Sam last... Yes, well, Sam's last name. I thought, no, it was his first name into a last name. of Samuels. Oh, was it? Oh, okay. So uh, she mentions that she's looking for the town that Sam lives in, and Norman's like, yeah, it's just like 15 miles from here. And she's like, oh, so close? Which is supposed to be like a real fucking dagger into your heart later. <laughs> <laughs> Almost got away. <laughs> so he takes her to her room, and he is too shy to say the word bathroom to her. He's just like, that's the, uh, the, uh, <laughs> And she kind of has to finish it for him, and he's like, oh, okay. <laughs> and he asks her to have dinner up at the big house. And she considers because he's got more than a room behind a hardware store. I mean, she's he's got a whole business here, you know. He's doing a lot better than Sam, you know. He's a handsome-looking lad. Yeah, it might be worth checking out. So Listen, after he... she's 40,000. Well, let's see. Do the math. What's 700 minus 40,000? <laughs> it's 39,300. And the fact that you had trouble on it might, may will maybe ruin a joke I'm going to make in a couple scenes. But <laughs> This is going to be great. But I'm saying she can weigh out her options. She's a rich girl now. <laughs> she takes out her cash and she wraps it in a newspaper after he leaves in an attempt to hide it from I'm not sure who. And while he's up in the house, she hears Norman having an argument with his mother over the uh, the dirty harlot down in the motel who he wants to have dinner with. And <laughs> the mother's not having it. She's like, no, that's that's not that's it's not going to happen. So he hustles down there with some sandwiches to eat down at the motel instead. 
and she says that uh, Janet Lee is, says that she's sorry if she caused any trouble, and he mentions that well, mother isn't herself, which is true in uh, in a lot of ways. <laughs> I wish I had things to add to that, but you know, I'm trying to play it off as 1960s Vin right now. Okay, well, you're in for a shock then. <laughs> So she's down to chow on some Sammies down here in the motel instead. And uh, he says, and this is sort of the first like bit where like he starts to get a little creepy, where he's like, you know, it's nicer and warmer in my office. Just like, oh, man. Uh, <laughs> I can't imagine saying yes to this. But uh, she's nicer than me, I guess. So she goes for it. And he, when they get in the office, he's like, but, you know, actually, upon reflection, the office sucks. What if we go to my private parlor in the back of the office? Which, you know, could be a murder room, but she's cool, whatever. She's like, yeah, fine, let's do it there. And while they walk into the parlor, she notices a bunch of stuffed owls on the wall. It's a very lovely room of death. That's right. (laughs) And sticking with the bird theme, he tells her that she eats like a bird. Yeah. (laughs) When she says it, she sort of inadvertently glances at the owl on the wall. She's like... I make pellets? Like, what? <laughs> and then it turns I don't out... understand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's mouse bones and things that she pukes up. You'll see later. There's a local fourth grade classroom that'll definitely be dissecting that at some point. It's what you don't notice is during that shower scene where they, they look at her, her last breath is just... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's just like a mouse tail, like, going down the drain with their blood. Um, it turns out that this eat-like-a-bird bit was not off the cuff, because Norman's got, like, a solid five-minute uh, stand-up routine on this, where he's like, you know, birds actually eat quite a bit. Yeah, he's very uh, into birds. So much so, it's just, like, he's looking at her for approval of, like, am I impressing you with my bird facts? Please don't leave me. <laughs> And also, as a side note on the birds, he tells her that he's into taxidermy, which is uh, the stuffing of animals. He's not, though. He says the only thing that he enjoys is uh, stuffing birds because he says they already look like they're ready for it anyways, like basically that they were made for that. He says he doesn't like stuffing other animals. I mean, that's some real victim-blaming shit on the birds. (laughs) Being like, it's not so bad to kill them and stuff them because they look like they're ready for it. (laughs) But anyways, we'll find out he's into taxidermy and other things, but she asks what he does for fun other than stuffing birds, and he doesn't have any friends, but he does mention that a boy's best friend is his mother, which is, you know, one of the most famous lines from this movie, mm-hmm. and then he asks her where she's heading, and uh, she's she's a little bit circumspect about that, because, you know, she stole a bunch of money, she's on the run, <laughs> So he gives her a little speech about uh, being trapped, and uh, she sort of uh, relates to it on an emotional level, because uh, he's got this motel and a sick mother, and there's no way out for him, essentially. And she's like, look, there's no delicate way to put this. Your mom's a straight-up bitch. (laughs) Why don't you just put her in a home? And and take the fuck off. And he's like, well, I'd like to leave, but she's crazy. Well, he also, like, when she, like, you know, says, like, maybe it would be easier if you put her in a home, he, like, kind of wigs out on that. He's like, no, no. He's like, that's coming from someone that, like, basically just doesn't care. 
Yeah, you're getting a little bit ahead, but yes. Before that, he talks about how uh, the mom raised him alone, and while she raised him, she met a man who made her build the motel, and then he died. And he said that the mom wasn't happy after that because a son is a poor substitute for a lover. Which which is a real bummer. That's just, I wasn't happy hearing that. I'm not happy saying it now. (laughs) What is existence? So she reiterates that he should take off. And he says, well, you know, I hate my mother, but uh, I love her. So there's just, there's no doing that. And that's when she says, yeah, just put her in a home. And (laughs) among other things, he doesn't like the euphemism, firstly. And also because he's like, what, like a fucking sanitarium? (laughs) Which obviously he has issues with, which we can tell why. (laughs) Yeah, it makes sense. (laughs) We know that he might have spent some time in one, and uh, maybe it wasn't a happy experience for him. So she tries to apologize, but like he's past that now. He's fucking pissed still. And this is when he also says the immortal line, we all go a little mad sometimes. This line does make her uh, reconsider things again. So she's thinking about her own rash decisions. And then uh, she decides in this moment that, once again, she's going to head back. And she's going to give the money back in the morning. So she shuffles into her room while he waits in the parlor. And uh, while she's in the room, it turns out that he's got a secret uh, peeping uh, hole in the wall. He takes a painting off. And uh, that's why he put her in room one. So he get a, a full look at her. See, now, does he need to get permission from Mother to look through the peephole? (laughs) One could assume that Mother does not approve, and that's maybe some of the charm for him. (laughs) I got a little something for myself here. (laughs) Mother wouldn't approve. Oh, yes. (laughs) So he watches her undress through the hole in the wall, and then he's like, ah, I've had enough. So he puts the painting back, and he heads back up to the big house. So she disrobes and gets in the shower, which uh, for anyone who's heard of Psycho at this point, it's like, oh, okay, well, this is about to get real. <laughs> so <laughs> She's about to be a knifeberg. Population her. <laughs> so while she's in the shower, a figure moves in the bathroom that's sort of uh, silhouetted on the shower curtains, and it looks like Mother, and... That's when we get so many stabs. But wait, Jake. All right, hold on, hold on. Pause. Pause for like a second here. Let's pause. What do you got for me? Um. So I'll have you know that she steps into the shower, fully undressed, and does the same thing that CM Punk does. And tur- I did notice that. And turns the fuck. What is what is up with these people in these movies without testing the water before they go in? I guess it doesn't look cinematic to uh, turn a shower on and then test it with your hand first. <laughs> but, yeah, no, there's there's no moment in my life where I would ever test a shower with my face. I'm just saying, man, she could have gotten a full blast. You don't know. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, Vinny, it is the last mistake she ever makes. <laughs> She's about to get a full blast of something else. That's right. <laughs> so she gets stabbed ah, probably about a dozen times. She moans in one of them. It's almost like, oh, that one felt good. That's definitely not the way that I understood any of them, but okay. (laughs) And then she collapses uh, very slowly as the figure runs off. And she tries to reach out 
And while she's reaching out, she accidentally pulls the shower curtain on her. Mm-hmm. And then her blood rolls down the drain. Very classic. And the, the camera, like, sort of circles around her dead eyes as she's lying there in the shower with uh, the water still going. And then we hear Norman shout up in the big house <laughs> saying, So much blood, mother! <laughs> so he runs down and he seems horrified upon, let's say, quote-unquote, discovering the body. Yeah, it's, it's it's pretty good. I mean, like, this is where the schizophrenia, obviously, like, comes into play. Where it's, like, at this point. But, I mean, like, think about it in a perspective of being a schizophrenic. If you knew you were like that, and you were dressed like that, and you saw yourself covered in blood. I mean, like, come on, man. It's like, you're gonna, you're gonna be like, god damn it, mother did it again. <laughs> I th- I think we're to understand there's some distance he's able to put between the two of them. I don't get it myself. It doesn't make logical sense, but you know, it's a movie and it's an old movie. Well, we'll just we'll let it have its day. They also don't want to like give away the big reveal at like was this like a half hour into the movie, right? I think about like 40 right. minutes in. Although I would like to point out, and this is something we could discuss, that like this would be a big shock for people watching this in 1961, because we're about like 45 minutes in at this point, and up until this point, it seemed like it's like a movie about Janet Lee stealing money from her boss and then going on her, on the run, and then once you're invested in that character, you're like it's not about that at all. I fucking killed her. Now you're gonna have to deal with whatever the rest of this is. Yeah, it's pretty wild fresh that's new that's a new idea of killing off your lead like halfway through the movie (laughs) not even yeah there's been other movies since then that have sort of uh they've had similar shifts in in the same way scream before it came out heavily promoted drew barrymore as the main character of the movie and then she gets murdered in the first scene which is supposed to be very shocking or i don't know have you ever seen from dusk till dawn i have yeah Right, well, so obviously that's a movie where it's like a couple of convicts trying to sneak into Mexico for like an hour, and then out of nowhere there's a bunch of fucking vampires. Yeah, that's the weird thing about that, and I'll keep this quick, that's the weird thing about From Dust Till Dawn, is that that's another one of those movies where it's like, oh yeah, it's that, that vampire kind of movie and whatnot, and then if you watch the beginning, you're like, there ain't no fucking vamp- what? <laughs> right. It's like these dudes kidnapping people. <laughs> In the same way that Psycho is like, right, oh, that cross-dressing, like, stabby uh, movie, but, like, 45 minutes of it is, like, a lady desperately trying to find a car in a way that implicates her in front of a cop. Still probably, what it's definitely one of my most, like, I, I sat there and watched that unfold, and I'm like, what, what are you doing? <laughs> All right, so proceed. Oh, All right, so... Norman is pretty resolute on how to deal with this situation immediately, so he shuts all the lights off in the room, and then he goes and gets a mop, and he heads back in to clean up. I gotta say, like, for a murder, the bathroom is probably the best choice. It's so easy to clean, outside of, like, the soap scum. Soap scum (laughs) is very hard to get rid of. Yeah, and you don't want to clean up the soap scum, because if it's too clean, then people are like... Hey, what's happening in this bathroom? Right, then it becomes very... give you the fuck away. Yeah, you need to keep things inconspicuous. Keep the soap scum. So, Norman's ready to use the stuff around him. So he takes the shower curtains off, and then he sort of lays them on the floor, 
And then he drags her dead ass on top of it. <laughs> and then he goes to wash the blood off his hands and to uh, mop up the bathroom. And he goes out to her car and he backs it up to the room. And we find out that that $700 bought her a lot of body space in the trunk. <laughs> <laughs> so he tosses her in there. And then he goes back to like collect the rest of her shit. And he's just kind of going through the room, picking th- through it as he goes. And as he exits the house... A car goes by for a second, like, startling him because he's like, oh, fuck, I've been discovered. And I want to point out that that's one of, like, a few little bits they do to build tension in this, where I, which I thought was, like, very effective. No, nothing. All right, well. No, 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 no. I, I agree when it comes to building tension. Like, because if, if we continue on with this scene where, um, well, I, I mean, I'm not going to just bury the lead. He just pushes the car, you know, when he pushes the car. Because that's also a nice uh, attention building and whatnot. And it's good, like, the um the actor that plays Norman, he's very good with his facial expressions. Yeah, Anthony Perkins. Yeah. Like, um, he carries a scene very well with everything in his, uh, his face. Like, you can read the emotions very well with him, with what he's yeah. going through in this, like, scene. Yeah, this is a guy who was, like, a little goofy and creepy the scene before, who's, like, he seems to be all business now. I also want to point out that before he drives the car off, though, that he grabs her money newspaper and tosses it in the back with the rest of the stuff. Now, what I love about this is, I don't know if you know this, but Alfred Hitchcock invented the film term uh, MacGuffin. And what a MacGuffin is, is just, it's the whatever you want in a movie that everyone's trying to get. So you're establishing the $40,000 as a possible MacGuffin in this, but it's not really. It's just going to get tossed in the fucking swamp with the rest of it. It's basically a red herring, really, where it's just yeah. like, yeah, clearly he knows that she's got the money. Maybe he saw that when he was peeping in. Nope. All an accident. Completely coincidental. Yeah. He didn't give a shit about that cash at all. Nope. <laughs> Mother just did not approve of her. <laughs> so he drives the car off road and he starts pushing it along into a swamp and he's watching it sink a a little bit slowly and he's pretty nervously he's like sort of like chewing on his lip like looking around as this is happening and it stops halfway and he's like (laughs) he definitely gives it a second glance like oh fuck he's like looking around like making sure nobody like sees him and it's like the the things that could be going through like Norman's head right now. I'm like, fuck, fuck, fuck. I should have chose the the deeper side of the swamp. Yeah. And then the car's like, nah, I was fucking kidding, man. Blah blah blah. And then sinks the rest of the way. And then we cut back to Norman, and he's smiling like, yeah, <laughs> I did like, good. I knew that car wasn't gonna do me dirty like that. <laughs> So we're all done with Norman for a little bit. Uh, we head back to Sam's uh, hardware store. Or I should say we're introduced to it. And a lady pulls up with some luggage, and she wants to see him right away. And this is her sister, Janet Lee's sister, who she had briefly mentioned earlier in the movie, which at the time was like, why is she talking about having a sister that we don't meet? And then later I'm like, oh, right, right, right. No, I, I remember this whole bit now. So she asks if uh, if her sister has been around. And Sam hasn't heard shit. He's like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Like, I fucked her in a motel room three days ago, and that was the last I saw her. He's like, maybe I should have kept that part out. So, a guy comes in who's also looking for the sister, and it turns out that he is a private investigator 
who I assume was hired by the uh, cowboy to locate the money. Make sure to keep her alive. I need to get that flesh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm he has going a to... piece of paper that says, like, soft flesh first, and then number two, $40,000. <laughs> He's like, I'm here to collect two very important things. <laughs> He's got a fillet knife, like, ready to go. But <laughs> he's like, listen, the cowboy was very specific. Yeah. I assume it's a Merchant of Venice situation, too, where it's the flesh closest to the heart. <laughs> but anyways, <laughs> Shakespearean references aside, uh, the P.I. thinks that she must be close because the boyfriend's around here. And then we get a, a montage of him searching after this because he's going to check out all the local stops. Mm-hmm. And that includes uh, Bates Motel, which, of course, is only 15 miles away. So Norman does this basic bit of, like, 12 rooms, 12 vacancies, you know, this whole thing. It's like, wow, he's really been at this a while. How many cars do you think he pushed into that swamp? They mentioned later that there was a couple other people missing, so, right, it's at least a couple more. Uh, maybe more. Who knows? I mean, drifters come in. I got I got something to to talk about later. I got. Okay. I gotta try to. I gotta try to remember what the fuck I was gonna say when he comes up. I would say based on the speech in the end, it's like whoever he's attracted to. Right. 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 So uh, the PI tells Norman that he's looking for Janet, and Norman's like, "Whoa, no one's been here for weeks," and the investigator's like, "All right, well, let me just take a look at your book then, because so, he has a handwriting example to uh to compare it to." So he, he tries to have Norman look at the photo one more time. And now Norman's like, oh, yeah, okay, I remember now. He, because he Norman put... is not a great liar. No, not at all, but it's so funny. He, like, tilts his head and he's like, yeah? Yeah, is that her? Yeah? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Norman does a big, like, stuttering routine of, like, right, she was here. Oh, okay, I remember now. And then P.I.'s like, yeah, so, she, did you guys fuck when she was here? And he's like, nah, that makes me all murdery. <laughs> so, Norman's very nervous, and he's like, nah, she came and went. Like, uh, she's gone now. And the P.I.'s like, nah, this is bullshit, and maybe this fucking corn-pone asshole is helping her out. <laughs> so he noticed his mother in the window, and he's like, maybe that's Janet up there, because they look the same with their skeletal faces. <laughs> so he, he asked if Norman's hiding her, and he's like, you know, if she is, like, she's probably just using you. Which Norman's not into at all, and he gets fucking weirdly defensive about this, saying, like, well, she might have fooled me, but she didn't fucking fool mother, I'll tell you that. <laughs> and P.I.'s like, sounds normal to me. <laughs> gotcha. Nobody fools mother. I'm gonna write yeah, like, it down in the book. Sounds like mother's the one we need to talk to. <laughs> oh no, so, it's raining. I lost that note. Well, gotta go home now. <laughs> The P.I.'s like, I guess I'm not going to get, like, any more from this, like, Forrest Gump motherfucker. <laughs> so he takes off, and he heads to the payphone to call back to the hardware store to let the sister know that he that uh, her sister was at Bates Motel. Janet Lee was, I should say. And he mentions that he would like to go talk to Mother, because he has some questions for her. And he thinks that she saw... <laughs> Janet, and that's that's the person he's going to talk to. 
So he heads back to the motel, and he can't find Norman in the office when he's there. So he heads up to the big house. And when he heads in, everything seems very quiet, and he sort of creeps up the stairs. And as he's creeping up the stairs, a door opens slowly as he's climbing. And then Mother comes out, and (laughs) he catches a stabbing on the stairs from her. It's another (laughs) uh, classic uh, scene right here. Yes. It's a weird one. really weird ass shot of him stumbling down the stairs where it looks like he's not really moving at all and he's just kind of flailing his arms but the stairs are like rushing up behind him so in like a weird projection way i i remarked i'm like i feel like this scene would have worked out better if it was an outward scene and they had like the actor look like he was tumbling down the stairs look a little more natural but for some reason, it's like he's trying to catch his balance and, like, holding on to a ra- It just looks weird. <laughs> it looks like he's standing still and, like, the floor is rushing at him. Like he's on an escalator. <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly, the stairs turned into an escalator. It was a weird time. <laughs> yeah, he was not prepared for that. <laughs> so, he, he did, as they say. And we're back in the hardware store, and the sister's worried about the P.I., who she's known for at least half a day now. <laughs> so she mentions that he's been gone too long. And Sam's like, all right, I'll go check. Like, you got to stay here, because what if he's on his way back? Like, there'd be no way to contact him. Which I'm like, man, life really sucked before cell phones. <laughs> <laughs> Thank it's God. Like, I do remember, like, you know... I was on the cusp of cell phones when I was a teenager, so it used to be when you wanted to hang out with people, you would just go to where they worked and hope they were there. <laughs> so th- that just reminded me of this. So <laughs> Norman's back to his sinking hole, sinking a private eye now, and he hears Sam calling for the private investigator at the motel, and Norman's like, I ain't saying shit. <laughs> like, he'll probably get bored and leave, which he's right, Sam does. So Sam goes back to the store, and the sister's worried, and she's like, it's time to go to the cops. And Sam says, yeah, the PI wants to talk to Mrs. Bates. This is, I I should say, they go to the cops, and they wake him up in the middle of the night. Yeah, the sheriff. Yeah, and the sheriff comes out with his wife. And Sam tells him that the PI went up to uh, Bates Motel to talk to Mrs. Bates. And the cop's wife's like, oh, Norman got married? (laughs) This is where we're we're, uh, 1960s us are about to hit a big twist. Yeah. And he's like, no, the mother, which they don't say anything initially, but they both raise eyebrows at that. So the cop's very hung up on the robbery. He wants to talk more about all the money she stole. (laughs) So he's like, PIs go missing all the time, but $40,000 don't get stolen very often. (laughs) So he's like, well, it's as plain as day to me. The fucking PI knows where she is, and he lied to you. To try to keep you from finding her. Yeah, he she clearly wants to fuck the P.I. this whole time. <laughs> Perhaps. Or the P.I. has its own reasons. But uh, the cop does mention that there was some bad business that happened up at Bates Motel ten years ago. Although he doesn't specify what initially. So while they're there, the sheriff calls Norman on the phone. And Norman's like, oh yeah, no, the P.I. came and he bailed. So he's obviously much better at lying to the sheriff than he is the private investigator. He's good with uh, talking to locals, you know? Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, he's within his comfort zone here. So <laughs> after this, the sheriff and his wife get to do the uh, the classic routine of, 
Norman Bates's mother has been dead for ten years. <laughs> to, which the Sam and the sister are like, what? <laughs> so the story that unfolds is pretty pretty crazy, though. It is pretty crazy. But Sam mentions that he saw an old woman up in the house. And the cops are like, really? Well, then who the fuck did we bury? <laughs> Which, like, I would wait for more info before, like, immediately jumping to that conclusion. But Oh, right. We buried Mrs. Bateman, not Bates. <laughs> Damn. But, like, you would be shocked how often that happens around here. <laughs> so we're back with Norman. And he's sort of sashaying up the stairs. Wait. Oh, man. You forgot to, to say, like, my favorite line that came out of the sheriff's mouth. Okay, let's hear it, because I didn't get it. So, you know, he describes what happens to um to Norman's mother and whatnot, like how she died. You, uh-huh. didn't, you didn't write any of that down. He doesn't do that yet, right? He does this at the church. No, he he does this at the, the house at night. Okay. All right. Well, you go ahead then. I don't got any of this. Well, I don't. I don't remember the whole entire story, but you can lay that out. But basically, what ends up happening is like, I guess like Norman's mother ends up like getting jealous of the. You do you have it? Yeah. You know what? I don't want to... <laughs> not to put too fine a point on it, but I do have it, and I accidentally skipped it. Yes. Apparently, Mrs. Bates poisoned her boyfriend. Because she found out that he was secretly married, mm-hmm. and then uh, after she kills him, then she kills herself. Yeah. That is the official police story. Yeah, in and this then case. the sheriff goes strychnine, and then he goes like he gives like a wink, and he goes ugly way to die. <laughs> <laughs> Which you know, so I guess it won't be his choice <laughs> or someone to give him the option. But okay, see, folks, um, we almost we almost missed it. <laughs> It was worth it. it was. Uh, all right, so Norman again with his sexy hips are going up the stairs. We'll brag with that, and he's getting into an argument with Mother about moving her out of the room and into the fruit cellar, <laughs> which she's not happy about because she's mentioned that she's been in the fruit cellar before, which you know sounds strange. <laughs> Sometimes he just likes to move her body like from like place to place to just be like Mother needs to get her fruits. I guess mother needs to eat her breakfast. Better put her in the kitchen. It just seems like a lot of, like, you know, taxing work to, like, carry around a dead body. Yeah. And mother persists, and she, but uh, the argument's not going to go anywhere because Norman carries her body downstairs, and she's heading to that fucking cellar. There's no way around it at this point. So we cut to the church the next day. And the cop's like, yeah, I already checked out Bates. Like, nothing's there. Don't worry about it. There's no old-ass lady there. And Sam and the sister are like, well, I think we're probably the best people to investigate this now. <laughs> so they decide that they're going to go do some sleuthing themselves. So they, they're going to head to the motel, and they've already decided on a cover story. They're going to pretend to be man and wife, which, oh, man, if there's a heaven or an afterlife of any kind, Janet Lee's got to be fucking pissed. <laughs> fucking so, sneaky sister I always but, knew you fucking take, I've been begging him to marry me for years and you get in one afternoon it's fucking bullshit you didn't even have to fuck him to get there either <laughs> <laughs> so they arrive as uh, Norman watches from the window at the motel 
and Sam wants to sign into the room, but Norman's like, oh, no, why bother, like, with all these formalities? <laughs> and Sam's like, my boss insists I need to sign into this room. And Norman's like, I can't think of a way to tell you no. So here is the book. I wish I'm not giving this to you. Oh, no. <laughs> what Norman's have I like, done? Hey, can I have your bags? And they're like, no, nah, we don't have any. But apparently this is a fucking ruse because Norman's like, yeah, OK, who cares? And then Sam's like, what about the fuck? What about the fuck tax? Norman's like, Buh? And he's like, I've never been to a place in my life where they don't charge you ten dollars for not having any luggage which i'm like is that how they used to operate that's insane i've never even heard of that where they're just like yeah you're right it's the fuck tax <laughs> yeah it's because they're assuming if you don't have luggage it means you want to fuck and if that's the case i need 10 extra dollars to clean this room <laughs> that's a pretty good gambit i guess yeah so while sam's taking his hamilton out the sister's going ahead to uh to try to get a snoop on room one because obviously they've seen from the book that's the room she was in. And then they head to their room, which is room 10. Because he's like, I want them far away, but not far enough away that they know I'm putting them far away on purpose. This is a real tricky thing that I gotta do here. <laughs> room <laughs> two, maybe three. <laughs> it's like, that's too close. I gotta at least do nine and probably ten. <laughs> And if I do room five, then surely I'm going to have to go to four to look it through the peephole there. <laughs> I'm sure he has a whole complex system for peepholes in every room. Um, the sister is very caught up on the MacGuffin because she's not a great investigator. So she's like, I know what happened. He stole the money from her. She's <laughs> like, no, no, but you'll find out. So they had other room. And there's no sign of Norman around. So they're going to investigate room one. While they're in there, Sam's like, hey, no shower curtains. <laughs> Which... And the sis <laughs> sister finds a hasty note that uh, Janet had written, which actually I didn't write this down and I wanted to talk about it before. When she was in her room trying to figure out how she was going to give the money back, she made a note that was just $40,000 minus $700 equals $39,000, because she's like, I have to figure out how much I've spent and how much I have left, which I'm like, I don't know that you needed to write that out to do, but whatever. <laughs> that so sounds like she, something I would have done. <laughs> yeah, and she had ripped up that note and tossed it in the toilet. She's like, if it's in the toilet, it can't incriminate you. <laughs> or but, more or less like, no, no, that's just stupid. <laughs> Apparently in Norman's cleanup, he didn't think to also flush the toilet. So they found the note, and uh, the sister's like, this proves she was here. It's like, <laughs> yeah, obviously, we knew she was here. I, and the sister's it's so like... It's so funny, though, because that's just what that's... like. It was a little like sliver of a paper, and it's just like, this is evidence right here. We got everything we need. <laughs> and it's like, well, that's not enough, though. She's been playing. Uh, she's been playing cop for twenty five minutes, so she's ready to really commit to this bit. <laughs> so the she's sister just is like, she just wants to go home. She's like, I'm done with this. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe she wants to kick this investigation up a notch by talking to Norman's mother. She's like, All right, I'm gonna. Sam says, I'll talk to Norman, 
and you head up to the big house to see what the old broad knows. <laughs> so she heads inside, and Sam goes, and he asks if uh, being alone has driven Norman crazy. <laughs> Norman's like, I don't think that's what drove me crazy, but maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so the sister is heading up into Mother's room, and she's kind of snooping around. And she gets creeped out by a pair of uh, hands which have been bronzed. <laughs> Whose hands were those? Probably mothers. You'd have to. <laughs> that was like an old thing to be like people would pose and then you would put the plaster over their hands and then you would bronze over them. Look, I know like you're looking at me like, oh, that's an insane thing. But like imagine a life without television or the Internet. Like you do all sorts of crazy shit to pass the time. Yeah, like bronzing stuff. Okay, if you had. Someday you're going to shuffle off this fucking planet, and your son's going to have to bronze something of yours. What would it be? I don't want to answer that. (laughs) (laughs) But I think we all know. (laughs) It wasn't impressive, but you know what? It got the job done. (laughs) Is my legacy for good or ill? All right, past the hands, uh, she also catches her own reflection in the mirror, which creeps her out. And while she's snooping around, she notices that there's sort of a human-sized groove in the mattress. So she's like, this gives it away. (laughs) So (laughs) the sister's heading up to the attic room, and she finds a bunch of creepy kids' toys. And I want to point out, uh, we did compare magic to this movie last week. I have to say that this room initially looks like the magician's apartment at the beginning of the movie. I was like, look, it's like the same room. Yeah, I can see that. Also, at this point, she finds a blank book, and for some reason, this startles her. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, no title. What fucking villainry has been done in this? Books with no words. Dastardly. (laughs) Sam's outside, and he's grilling Norman, who's not holding up well to this type of abuse. And Sam's like, I know what we need to do. We need to ask fucking mother about this. (laughs) So Norman's like, that's all I need to hear, and he whomps Sam in the head. And then he runs up to the big house, and the sister is trying to avoid him, so she heads down to the fruit cellar, where we know there's a certain occupant waiting for her. Who? So, (laughs) we find Mrs. Bates in the cellar, but guess what? She has less skin than we imagined before, because she's a fucking skeleton. Listen, clearly she has not gotten her uh, vitamin C. And has not seen sunlight in some time. <laughs> right. So while the sister is dealing with Mrs. Bates' not-so-recent death, uh, Norman runs into the room dressed as a woman with the most gleeful look on his face as he's brandishing a knife. <laughs> I'm so happy to murder you today. <laughs> but unfortunately, apparently Sam is impervious to head wounds, because he immediately comes behind Norman and overpowers him. And that's the end of the Norman Bates saga for now. Because we are at the courthouse the next day. Mm-hmm. And guess what? The psychiatrist is here to talk. And he's going to explain the movie to you poor 1961 folks who have never heard of a serial killer before. Another man with fantastic hair. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so they're like, well, did you get the whole story? And he's like, well... Norman didn't tell me. Mother did. Allow me to explain. (laughs) And I have to point out that this is the scene that I fucking hate because he spends the next five minutes 
explaining the psychology of Norman. Yeah. And it's all stuff that, like, is already covered in the movie. Like, they've left enough nuggets. And you don't have to explain this so fully. Like, it's just, it comes to a grinding halt at this point. See, there's, so, some, there's some movies where, um, you know, like, whodunit movies where they lay out, like, the carpet for you and explain it. And, like, it can be done in a good way. Like, Clue, right? Clue is a good, like, a good movie where it's, like, a whodunit movie. It's hilarious. And the way that they run everything through, it, it's done very nicely. Um, this movie, like, I don't I don't feel like everything needed to be laid out the way that it did. There is a moment, too, where he talks about how Norman dresses like his mother. And there's that one cop that's, like, he's a, <laughs> he's a transvestite. Clearly, yes. this guy is not into the LGBTQ, you know, stuff. Well, to to the psychiatrist's uh, credit, I suppose he says no, he's not a transvestite. It doesn't have to do with anything with that, right? So, <laughs> I guess if we want to get into the explanation of Norman, it goes like this: Norman was jealous of the boyfriend that his mother had, so he killed mother and the boyfriend. Mm-hmm. Uh, he stole her corpse, but he waited a little too long. Heads the skeleton. (laughs) (laughs) And he started to play act as her in the house. And it wasn't working very well at first until he decided to get real committed. And. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, like, he wanted to be more or less. He was just a normal actor, but wanted to turn into a method. Was it a methoded actor? Methodist? A method actor. I do want to point out that the note I have is the, the guy saying, like, is he a transvestite? And the psychiatrist is like, nah, just a method actor. <laughs> See? <laughs> but he's too good and he loses reality. So he pretends to be mother so much that he develops a split personality or perhaps dissociative identity disorder. So he believes he is sometimes mother and sometimes himself. But these are both separate entities. And the long and short of it is he killed girls that he wanted to fuck because he assumed that mother would be as jealous as he was. I'm like, wow, gross. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's the whole sordid tale, unfortunately. And a cop comes in, and he's like, uh, he says he's cold. Can I bring a blanket to him? And they're like, yeah, sure, whatever. Like, he's killed a bunch of people. He, he deserves some, some comfort. <laughs> so we go into the room with Norman, who is still acting as mother, and he's going through a sort of insane monologue in his head as mother, talking about how... <laughs> Norman tried to pin the whole thing on her, but she's not having that. Yeah, she says, just basically, if I just sit here and just play cool, they won't suspect Mother. I let this fly just land on my hand. I'm not going to swat at it. I'm not going to do anything. <laughs> right. right. They'll is... let her off, her, I guess we should say, because <laughs> they'll see that she couldn't hurt a fly. Hence, you cannot murder humans, which are much larger. The defense <laughs> rests, Your Honor. It's perfect. I, what I like about this shot is like it zooms in on Norman's face and he's like smiling and whatnot. And then when it cuts away, you can see like the mother's like skeletal grin kind of like show up like translucent like behind. And then it shows uh, them pulling the car out of the swamp. Of which that I wanted to go back to what I was saying before when they put that original, you know, when he was pushing the car in there. And I asked you like how many cars do you think he shoved in there? I just think it would be hilarious. It's just like, ah, there's another one here, and I'll pull out the, side, like, like, like the fifth car today that we found in here. 
He'd have to start going to different spots, though, because then suddenly, like, you're just parking cars on top of each other. Like, they're not going to sink anymore. Well, maybe that's what happened was, like, when he... I would like a scene of, like, him on top of a car, like, hopping up and down on it to try to get it to sink in the swamp. Like, come fucking on! Son of a bitch, this is only the fourth car. Come on! Uh, So, yeah, that's Psycho. That is Psycho. Um... So, I'm the one who selected the movie, Vin. It falls upon me to ask you the eternal question. Vinny, did I scare you? Nah, nah. I mean, maybe 19, like, 50s me would have gotten my mind blown by, like, a, oh my god, I can't believe they're making movies like these these days. <laughs> but, nah, 2020 Vin is prepared for movies like this, and nah, you didn't scare me. But, but it was a, a joy to watch. Yeah, this is a pretty classic movie for cutting away to imply violence. There's a a lot of famous stories about people who saw this movie who insisted that it was the most graphic thing they had ever seen, but you never actually see her get stabbed. Um, No, I I don't really find it scary either. I mean, like, Norman is creepy in his way. Like, he sort of, he unnerves me. Yeah. And the things he reveals about his relationship with his mother do make me, like, uncomfortable. But, uh, no, I'm not scared either. But uh, let's ask a more general question. Did you like the movie? Yeah, no, I, I thought it was good. Like like I said, I think after um, after What's-Her-Face, the, the lead dies. Janet Lee, yeah. I definitely think the movie kind of took a slow going to get to basically the end. Like, I, it definitely felt like it it was I, I just took a little bit longer to get to where it needed to get to you know i thought it was I, I i liked all the tension in it i thought there was a lot of good stuff with that i still don't like the psychiatrist bit <laughs> but like i said it does feel shorter now than it did the first time i saw it so maybe the next time i see it it'll, it'll turn out it was only 30 seconds <laughs> and i'll be like why does it still feel endless <laughs> Now it's, you're right. That 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 scene does kind of drag out for a while because he's like, and then there's also this added stuff into the context, and you're like, I, I don't care. I am done. It, this movie is done. It's also like this super tense movie where it's like these things keep happening. Where you're like, oh, what's gonna happen? How are they gonna get out of this one? They're like, yeah. Now let me end this by explaining something to you for five minutes. And I hope you're comfortable, because I'm going into detail. Or it's just, it, it doesn't make any sense in, like, a pacing sense. But maybe, what are you going to do? Well, maybe Alfred Hitchcock just felt like maybe this movie would be a little too beyond every audience member, so he needed to lay it out. Like, I don't know. What was the mindset like in 1960, man? Were they ready for that shit? I know that I watched him uh, being interviewed by Francois Truffaut. And talking about this movie, and what he did say is that he didn't like the book. He thought it was a really bad book, but he was very interested in the fact that she gets killed halfway through, and he was just very intrigued by that thought. And the rest of it was sort of just like formed around him being interested in that part. So hmm. I guess at the end, the studio's like, well, you have to explain why this fucking sicko's like this. And he's like, all right, I'll have a fucking doctor do it or something. Like, who cares? <laughs> Yeah, he was beyond at that point. He didn't care. He got his scene. He's like, but I bet I fucking like freaked them out when that happened, right? Because they didn't see that coming. Uh, 
Vinny, let's move on to our next segment here. What is your gifable moment from this movie? Oh, my gifable moment is uh, the face on Norman when the car is not sinking into the swamp. Because <laughs> he goes from kind of being eager and like waiting for it to sink to like it stopped and he just kind of looks around like, what the fuck? Oh, no. That's pretty. Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one for any time something's not quite working out the way you planned. Right. It's got to be like you see the car sinking and he's like excited and then it stops and then he's just like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It'd be like if you're rooting for a football team and they're up by a touchdown and like they they just need a first down to close out the game and they don't get it. That's a perfect gift for that moment. It's either that or they throw like a pick six. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I, I, this is a first for me, but I'm tied between two, and I love them both too much to give them up. I want to gif the guy falling down the stairs, or I should say, the floor coming up past him. That one's doable. You can probably find that one. It exists. And I want Norman's face when he comes into the room dressed as a woman for the first time. That's Because <laughs> awesome. he looks, he looks so happy. <laughs> He, he has a look on his face that's equal parts like, I'm living my best life, and also like, surprise, it's me, Norman. <laughs> I know you're as bad as a surprise as I am. Now get the <laughs> hell out of here. I, I'll have you know, though, that scene where, uh, you know, the P.I. is falling down from the stairs they reacted, like, reenacted that scene at that psych episode, too. It's pretty funny. <laughs> I'm sure they did. Yeah. Um, let's get to the next segment. Vinny, if you were any character in this movie, who would you be? Oh, God. I don't... Uh... You go first, and then I'll try to follow up. Because <laughs> I can't think of anything at the moment. I would definitely be the bank manager, or I should say the uh, the real estate manager who's like, I don't want your $40,000 here because I don't want to be held responsible when it goes missing, you fucking asshole. <laughs> if I was going to pick, I would probably pick Sam. I don't know. Because you feel like you're poor? <laughs> Sometimes, some days, yeah, well, yeah, I guess it's the hair. You know what, I just base it around the hair. Okay. You do have very similar hairstyles. I guess that's fair enough. Yeah. Uh, Vinny, do you have any outstanding thoughts on Psycho? Um, not much. Just more or less, if you haven't seen it, you should probably see it. We're definitely... It's it's nice that we're, we're coming around on, like, movies that, you know, that we may have not necessarily have seen that you probably should have seen, you know what I mean? So, Psycho, it's like, again... I, I never have fully seen it all the way through, so it's it's nice to have an excuse to actually see it. I have some thoughts, and it's sort of an esoteric question, but it's using Psycho as a jumping-off point. So here is the way that I will phrase this question. Do you find Janet Lee attractive in this movie? Eh. So when she's, like, hanging around in her bra, like, doesn't do anything for you? Oh, she's got, like, those cone-shaped titties, so that's a little interesting you know <laughs> so, okay so yeah i don't know right. she's got those weird cone-shaped titties so that's a little <laughs> it's the bras right, well, aside maybe <laughs> the particular shape of her breasts do you in general ever find yourself attracted to women women in older movies um it depends 
I guess. Um, it's hard. See, like, I'm an eye color kind of guy. Like, I, I, I particular like, certain, certain women with, like, eye colors I dig. And because everything is black and white, well, you don't, you don't really get, like, the eye colors of certain women, right? So, I, it's a weird trait. I know. I know. I'm tell, I, I sound insane, but... Yeah, no, I, I don't know. It's it's hard. <laughs> no, this is a digression. I wasn't prepared for it, but I guess I should have. I should have been prepared for anything. <laughs> Instead, I, I was caught flat-footed on this hole. <laughs> I thought this might go a certain way, and like you discussing like how you need eye color was not a way that I was prepared to deal with at all. Okay, <laughs> all right, you need eye colors, so old movies aren't going to do that for you, or specifically black and white movies won't. Right. Okay. <laughs> so so what, were, what were you hoping for out of this? No, I think it's just a sort of weird thought because, like, every now and then I'll find myself extremely attracted to a woman in an old movie like this. And I'm like, in a lot of cases, they're dead. Oh. <laughs> it's like, in my fantasy, if I consider myself with this person, am I, like, having to time travel before <laughs> Or are we existing in a sort of timeless existence? <laughs> you know, if you believe in the multiverse kind of theory, there's a possibility of a Jake being able to go back in time to match sure. it with her. Sure. Yeah, and time is a flat circle. Listen, I mean, like... Not cone-shaped. <laughs> Here, I brought something from the future for you. It's a normal bra. <laughs> You'll thank me later. <laughs> You're being time-centric. Like, those bras are normal to them. <laughs> it's your bras that would look weird. I mean, like, okay, so... a tra- <sighs> Time period-wise, for me, I guess, like... I don't know, like, I find, like, certain women of, like, the, the 70s and, like, the 80s, like, pretty attractive. And those are, like, the craziest hairstyle eras, you know? Yeah. It just, it seems strange to be, like, moderately turned on, but, like, basically a filmed memory. Hey, man, I don't know, you, you, you like what you like, right? Are you gonna, I suppose that's true. I don't know what you're going to necessarily search on Pornhub later, but... I made no reference to that, and I have no plans to reference it any further. <laughs> Alright, well, I think we're all done with this, <laughs> this strange digression. Uh, Vinny, it is your turn to select the next movie... What is the movie that you are picking for our next episode? You're going to hate me. I Well, maybe. <laughs> no, you're going to hate me. So this movie, um, first of all, was made in uh, 1982. Which, okay. Um, you know, this is when uh, horror movies started getting very experimental and very gory. So unfortunate to you, Jake, because we've gone back-to-back psychological-type movies and you know it's it's been a while since we've seen something kind of fucked up, so I think it's time to see something a little fucked up. So we're gonna watch a movie called Pieces. Vinny, can I ask you what are the pieces? Uh, pieces of pieces of mutilated uh, people. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Can you give us a sort of uh, general idea of what Pieces is about? Alright, so Pieces, in short, and this is like off the IMDb page, is uh, the co-ed 
the co-eds of Boston College campus are targeted a by a strong start <laughs> are targeted by a mysterious killer who's creating a human jigsaw puzzle from their body parts. Oh, tremendous. <laughs> All right. Well, if you'd like to play along at home, uh, is there any place in specific that you can stream this movie, Ben? Of course. You can stream this off my new favorite app known as Shudder. It's Shut- not new at this point. You're several weeks into this. This is true. But you know what? Uh, it's my go-to when I do my advertisement for Shudder. So, yes, my new favorite app known as Shudder. You can find it just about on any platform. Of course, you know, if you're going to do it on your PS4, like, forget about it. But, hey, if you have Am- Amazon Prime, you can, you know, piggyback off there. Shudder is the most wonderful horror movie app. It has all the greats. Well, most of the greats. A lot of classics. A lot of new stuff. A little bit of everything. You can also watch of, Joe. A lot of caveats in your uh, your free spawn con here. Yeah, for sure. And you can also check out Joe Bob Briggs' new uh, show, The Last Drive-In. He uh, recently just had special guest uh, Chris Jericho on there on his show. And he also had uh, the King of Splatter on there, Tom Savini, as well, as a guest. All right, then. Well, is there anything else you'd like to say to wrap up this episode of uh, the Joe Bob Briggs recap? <laughs> uh is that what we do here? I can't remember. I blacked out in the middle. No, I'm just, I'm just, you know, just spreading the word, man. Spreading the good word. Uh, so last thoughts on Psycho. Uh, well, you know, mother knows best. Okay. Well, on uh, that note, a boy's best friend is his mother. So, <laughs> gentlemen, call your moms if you're out there listening. Yes. Uh, Love I don't to think all we mothers. Have anything else to say other than a special thank you, of course, as always, to Rebel Escape Pod for letting us use their song Monster as the intro and outro, and a special friend of my friend Chris, specifically, uh, the lead singer. And uh, uh, that's that's uh, it for this show, Vin. Uh, you have been listening to Did I Scare You? And I have been your host, Jake Albrecht. And I have been his co-host and little brother, but little brother first, Vin. All right, and uh, that's it. We're wrapping up. Uh, Go gently into that quiet night, and good day to you all. Goodbye. That's perfect. Good night. watching me. Well, let them. Let them see what kind of a person I am. I'm not even going to swat that fly. I hope they are watching. They'll see. They'll see and they'll know and they'll say, why, she wouldn't even harm a fly.